right. Well, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Average Superstar TV. I'm your host, Lauren Lepery. Please give us a subscribe, like, comment, and please feel free to share on YouTube. We are also available on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. We have a new show every Monday morning at 5 a.m. And this week, we're turning our cannons back onto the film world. I have a very special guest in here, a guy who's, uh, like myself, heavily involved with the independent scene. We have a class one disaster drama that happened to us a couple of years ago. We'll get back into that in a little bit later. This is how we met. But uh, from Terror Films, we have the great Joe Dane. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good to be here, Lauren. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely, brother. Uh, so, Joe, what were... Ever since you were a kid, did you see yourself at all like getting involved with film? Did you have like an obsession with film? Or were you just like a fan kind of like me and you fell into it? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I would say the bug bit me at about 13. My mom took me to see, of all things, a um, production of Avita, which was at a dinner theater in philadelphia called the riverfront dinner theater it's no longer around wow but it was um you know and i grunted and groaned the whole time right I and mean, it was for my birthday and i was like ah this is uh, who wants to go to a you know musical and a theater restaurant i was like what the hell is this mom and uh as she recalls it uh, i think much more than i do i was mesmerized uh i was i was completely taken by uh, the performances and, you know, probably in hindsight, they probably weren't that great, but for a 13 year old kid, I was, I was pretty blown away. I think I was more blown away by the reaction of people, you know, really absorbed in, in what was happening on the stage. And from that moment on, I, I just, I had the bug, uh, which was initially an acting bug. And luckily I had really incredibly supportive parents who were like, Hey, you know, let's, let's, whatever you want, whatever you want to try, let's get, let's give it a shot. And, you know, started with headshots and started with some local acting classes in Philadelphia. Uh, actually, out of curiosity, I'm because I'm a Philly guy too. Sure. I went to Wallet Street Theater. Where did you go? So I, I, I'm I'm born and raised in South Philadelphia. All right. And, and uh, I uh, for high school, I actually went to the high school for creative and performing arts in Philadelphia. Uh, not the beautiful building that's at now on Broad Street. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the building I was in was the one at 11th and Christian. Uh, which at the time was a little bit of a wonky neighborhood. Um, but I was coming off of uh, being um, at the St. John Bishop Newman. Uh, it was a private, you know, Catholic school that my dad had gone to, his dad had gone to, and, and I hated it. I was miserable. Um, so by the end of my, my sophomore year, uh, I was practically on the verge of getting thrown out of that school. <laughs> and uh, the only reason I wasn't getting thrown out is my, my dad was a heavy donator to the school. And, uh, but I was like, yeah, I don't want to politics world friend. Oh yeah, no ridiculous. And so but I, who you I, are, who, you know, and what yeah. you do for them <laughs> and, and every walk of life, my friend, it's so uh -huh. true. And I, and I just, but I didn't want to be there anymore. And, um, uh, I got lucky because at the time that the summer leading up to my junior year, I had taken a little acting class at this place called the Clairol Modeling School of Acting in Philadelphia. And I had the pleasure of having a teacher by the name of Lediva Davis, who was the head of the dance division of uh, Creative and Performing Arts High School. And, and just talking one day, she, she had come up about the high school thing and, 
and it looked like I was going to end up going to Southern, which, which if I, if you have any recollection of Southern high school, which is at Broad and Cider was not a good school. You did not want to go to that school. <laughs> <laughs> and Ladiva who loved me, um, said, well, listen, I need some male dancers. Uh, can you dance? And I was like, mm. <laughs> a little. You got your crazy on. And she said, well, come in and audition for us. And I auditioned and she got me in. And probably after maybe a three, four months of being there, because in the dance class, you took a, a drama as a minor and vice versa. If you were a drama major, you took dance as a minor. So I actually transferred to the, to the drama division. And uh, at that point, you know, I was just, I was so immersed in it. I was so excited about it. Uh, I ended up landing a manager by the name of Edie Robb, who was probably, and who's God, God love her, is still alive. It's got to be well into her eighties. Um, was probably one of, and still is one of the hardest working people in the business I ever got to meet uh, and really started sending me for auditions. And, uh, and I was lucky. I, I worked, I actually booked work very early on, um, I moved to New York when I was 19, fresh out of high school, uh, went to study at the Terry Schreiber studio, uh, in New York, worked with some incredible people at the Terry Schreiber studio, uh, people like Betty Buckley, you know, taught there. I mean, we, really some powerhouse, seriously grounded, theatrically trained, very respected people, uh, taught at that school. Um, I got a break because of a showcase. I did a director saw me who was shooting a movie in Texas and literally cast me from the showcase uh, for the role. And off I went to Texas, <laughs> shot that movie. Um, and then Edie ended up getting me an audition for, I don't know if you remember when, when they were auditioning, it's a hundred years ago, for Batman and Robin. Right? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the same then. Yeah, yeah. So they were looking for Robin. Uh, and what happened is the casting about 95, 96, I think. Too. Right. So yeah. what happened is they opened up casting across the country because they, they, they were still looking, they were, I guess they were making offers, nothing was coming through. And so I went in, uh, for the casting. Um, I was coming from, <laughs> uh, Another audition where I was literally dressed like practically like a hobo and I had a hammer with me and I didn't know what the fuck to do with it because I didn't have a bag and everything to put it in. So I go into this hotel and I meet with the casting director. I do the audition. I leave the audition. And the casting director liked me so much. Talked to my manager well, then they end up making a call to APA on my behalf. Now, at the time, APA was a bigger player than, than it is now. Um, and APA ended up signing me. So here I was with this kid. No, like not, not really any significant credits to my name, right? I had a couple of like PSAs, some commercials, right? Mm -hmm. I had this one independent film nobody had heard of uh, that, that wasn't even out yet. Uh, and they took a chance on me. And uh, I got lucky and booked some really great things. I booked some, some TV movies. I booked some soap work. Uh, and then I ended up booking an HBO movie that ended up taking me here to LA, uh, which is then I ended up living here. And as I went down the road of my acting career, uh, which I, I took very seriously, I, I always had sort of an interesting experience every time I would show up on a set, which was I was fascinated by how it all happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I felt like a, a, a cog in a very big machine and... 
I would come out of, of a trailer and just look around and be like, how does all this happen? Who makes all of this happen? These Don't trucks, these you. people, this yep. crew, like it was all so interesting to me. And, and I, little by little, I started to kind of veer away from my, my love for acting and, and really started to fall in love with, with the production itself and, and, and how it all sort of came to be. So I started to kind of move into that space a little bit. And I did a couple of, you know, I did the usual shitty stuff, right? Some PA jobs. And, of course, you got to. You know, things like that. I, I've, and, always, I've always said, I told everyone that wants to get in this business doesn't have any background to work a full movie set. Uh, no, a a absolutely. Volunteer but, your time. It's the best thing for you. Tell them straight up. I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Where do you want me? Yeah, and I and I got I got very lucky. So at one point, I was about uh, twenty six, going on twenty seven, and I had three job options that were at my feet. One was to take a job uh, in the mailroom of a major studio. One was to take a job in the mailroom of a major agency, and one was to take a runner job at a kind of small studio. Um, that was a soup to nuts operation. And I'll tell you about that in a second. And I had to really evaluate pretty quickly where I wanted to go direction wise because the corporate world didn't appeal to me, right? So when I was thinking about the studio or the big agency job, I felt like, oh, do I want to wear a fucking suit in the mailroom? Is this what I want to do? Do I want to work my way up within the infrastructure of a corporate setting? Did you kind of have what I have too? You don't you you don't mind answering to some people, but you don't want to see a suit like constantly. It, it was less that than I think that I wanted an opportunity to learn faster. I wanted to learn more faster, and I just knew that a the corporate world wasn't necessarily for me. It wasn't a desire that I had, but I also knew it was going to take me a lot longer in a in a corporate setting to kind of work my way up and, and start to learn. So I took the job as the runner. At a at a at a little company called Full Moon Features. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, when I took that job, at that time they were on Cherokee in Hollywood. They had uh, a couple of floors of this really cool old funky building, and it was a one stop shop. I mean, they had in house uh, head of video sales, they had head of arts, they had uh, in house legal. Uh, I mean, you kind of name it. They 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 had it. It was, essentially was like being at a at a small studio. Um, now, Full Moon, of course, was was a monster in in the late '80s and early '90s that you know slowly kind of <laughs> went downhill, uh, mostly because the owner CEO of that company, who God bless him, is still around, um, just constantly made a lot of bad choices and did a lot of crappy things that that caused the ultimate demise of that label. But I remember meeting with the, 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 who was the office manager at the time, this heavyset woman. And she said to me, all right, listen, kid, she says, if you're looking for opportunity, this is the wrong place because, uh, <laughs> I, I've been here for 10 years and I've never been promoted. And I thought, all right, well, you know, okay, that's fine. You know, I didn't, I didn't really, I took it with a grain of salt. And for every kind of sort of goofy menial job I had to do, which included, you know, taking the, the CEO's car to get washed, <laughs> pick up his kids from the private school and drop them off at the ex-wife's house. Um, I also got to work with every single department in that uh, building. Uh, I rubbed elbows with everybody from, from legal to contracts to, to, to the art department to, to head of video sales to head of foreign sales. 
and I was getting the education that I had so desired uh, about that because they also self-financed, they produced, so I was on the sets. I would see you were kind of getting on-site like training. Well, I would see, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was like, it was like what you would hope to get from film school, but would never get from film school, right? Where, where, literally, I was. Thrown, information. That's all film school is. It's secondhand information. Yeah, and it literally was like, okay, we have a script we love. Here's the process, and I got to learn every single aspect about that process. And I was probably there about six months. And the guy who was the head of business affairs was this guy by the name of Mickey Kaiserman. And I remember Mickey told me later, told me years later, that he told Charlie Band, who was, who is full moon, right? He says, you know that kid we hired, the runner? He goes, I predict that he's going to be running this place soon or he's going to be out of here in less than a year. Well, Charlie laughed at that, right? You know, the runner, right? Yep. Well... Devin Hamilton, who was the head of video sales at that time at that company, uh, I hadn't told anybody I had an actor background. Uh, and I wasn't actually using Dane. I was using Missoula. And Missoula Joseph Missoula is my legal name. Joe Dane is, is, is my industry name. And, uh, and I don't know how he figured it out, but he got wind and he looked up my credits and, and all that stuff. And, and he calls me to his office one day. <laughs> he says, uh, hey, shut my door. Now, I thought I was in trouble, right? Yeah. And I said, oh, I'll shut the door. And he goes, uh, how, come, uh, how come you're here? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, uh, I found out you're an actor. And he goes, you have some, some pretty decent credits. You, we worked with some good people and some shows. And he's like, why, why are you here as the runner? And so I was like, look, uh, I, I want to learn. I want to learn the business. I want to learn movie making. I want to learn production. I want to learn everything about it that I can. And so he said, well, listen. He says, uh, I have a movie that I wrote that the company is going to finance and let me direct. Um, I think you'd be really right for the lead. And I said, really? He says, yeah, because I want you to read for me. I want you to audition for me. But I, you know, your, your look, get everything. I've seen some of your stuff. He goes, I think you'd be good. So I auditioned. He offers me the lead in the movie. But I said, I have a contingency. And he says, well, what is it? I said, I want to I want a co-producer credit. And so when that happened, so the movie was a funny, funny, funny little movie called Delta Delta Die that I got to be in with some horror icons like Julie Strain, uh, Brink Stevens. Um, you know, it was really just a hilarious, funny movie about this group of sorority girls that was uh, capturing uh, young guys and, and killing them and then, and then grinding them up and selling them in baked goods. It was... <laughs> Was was hilarious plot. <laughs> I mean, just amazing. So this is up until 2017, and that's when Terror Films. Well, yeah. well, Terror Films actually was formed sooner. So what happened is that while I was there, uh, I had pitched the idea of financing a handful of micro-budget horror films, and and part of that was strictly a business decision. Uh, it was partially because I knew it didn't rely on movie stars. Uh, we were taking big bets. You know, we were, we were, we were an elevated art house company essentially. Right. So risky, risky projects, uh, from the financial standpoint, certainly. And, and the CEO of that company, he loved that idea. He, he, he loved the idea, but he didn't love the idea of putting, you know, horror films under, you know, his sunrise pictures banner. And so we said, well, why don't we start another label 
And I said, well, if we're going to start another label, I want to be a soup to nuts operation. I want to control our destiny. I want to, I want to handle our own distribution because having been on the side where so many filmmakers have, have been, uh, I've dealt with distributors of, of all levels. Uh, I've done deals with distributors of all levels. And, and I found myself more often than not um, disappointed in yeah. those distribution deals. And, and not even from a, not, I wouldn't even say from a standpoint of feeling ripped off rather than I felt like it was a very lackluster uh, distribution deal that, that we were just another cog in the wheel of their content machine. There was no special love or anything given. They're not getting the push. Yeah. There, there wasn't really anything given, you know, that, that, that was going to help really. The worst thing to the filmmaker that put all that time in and you, yeah. you want you hand that film over, like they got it from here. And if you don't see your film being pushed, it's a, you know, you, you feel like you're getting stabbed repeatedly, man. It's no, a, no, a hundred percent. And it never and, goes and, away. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent, and and I've been there, right? And 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 my my business partner Jim has been there, and so what happened is that we started the company technically started in 2014 uh, as far as forming the label, but then what we did is we we spent 2014, 2015, uh, and the beginning of 2016 uh, financing and shooting three original films for the label because one of the things that you know Jim and I were pretty clear on was the idea that if we're going to step into the distribution waters that it was very important that we put our money where our mouth was and and had skin in the game under our own model right instead of saying hey give us your films man we're going to be great for you we wanted to be like listen we're we're we've spent money on our own films that we're going to handle under our own distribution model so by the time that we were ready to launch which was officially the last quarter of 2016 we had seven movies Three were our originals and four we had acquired uh, up to that point. And something happened, man, that we we just could not have anticipated. I don't think anybody could have anticipated, which was three of those films blew up. Uh, the Chosen, which was one of our originals, uh, when Netflix gave a shit about this, it had an influencer in the lead and he had something like four million followers. They actually acquired the film under a really nice licensing deal. Um, so we got, a, we got a lot of press because of that uh, and because of him to the kid that was the lead. Another one of our originals called Patient 7, which was an anthology film where we acquired all of these, like, I mean, just incredible short films. I mean, ones with Alfie Allen, Amy Smart, Doug Jones. Uh, but then we wrote a wraparound and we cast Michael Ironside. So hey. we had this like really great. And what happened is the, the, the horror community, like all the big blogs, all the sites, they loved it. They embraced it. They talked about us. And it was sort of like, who's this company that just kind of came out of nowhere, right? Because it really was from a distribution standpoint, we suddenly just were there. Although we had been a, a company that had been around and a group of people have been around the business for years. So we cer certainly nobody was new to the business. Um, and then the other film was a little film called Hell House LLC mm. uh, <laughs> that went on to become probably one of the most talked about independent uh, horror films released in the digital space in like a decade, spawned two more films. Um, we've been actively talking to Shudder, you know, about a series uh, around it. And so I think between that and between the fact that we're a film, we're, we're a film company comprised of filmmakers, right? We're, so if anybody were to look up the team involved with, with terror films, we have written, acted, directed, produced, cast, edited, self-financed, you name it, we do it, we still do it. 
And everything that we do and everything that we've done and continue to do with this model and with this company has been about putting filmmakers first, putting money in filmmakers' pockets uh, faster than, than, than most, uh, promoting the films, standing behind the films in a way, really all the things that we wanted as yeah. filmmakers and didn't get yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is what drove our model and continues to drive our model uh, when it comes to, to the business. And I would certainly say that we are probably, uh, we are an unusual company in the, in, in, in a few ways on, on top of the fact that we guarantee marketing, bringing on the PR team, paid ads, all these things. We're also a low volume company. So we're, we're not a, uh, and, and not to disparage them, but we're not like a gravitas ventures, right? We're not somebody pumping out a hundred and 50 movies a year into the digital space. If, you know, if we're putting out 20, 25 movies a year, uh, that's a lot. Um, they even have like a spot on, uh, on your cable now. Like, you know, you go on, right. they got, they got their own section for a free right. year now. Right. And, 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 and that's okay. Listen, that's a model. I don't, I don't, I look, a model's a model and, and it, it, whatever needs to work, it works. Um, certainly I find that filmmakers get enamored sometimes by, that because they think the idea that they have thousands of movies in their in their library that somehow that makes them a better distributor you know to each their own as far as that goes i always tell filmmakers do your due diligence and 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 make a decision that feels right to you but it was just it wasn't something we wanted to be right yeah. we we just knew we didn't want to be that company we wanted to take on less films and spend the time on the films that you're just not seeing in the independent space which actually led to the birth of our sister label because what happened is after we launched and after we kind of exploded uh and after word of mouth started getting around among the filmmaker community which is the best you know the the, the best we're you know the, 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 best, the best marketing that exists is, is to have filmmakers. yeah yeah so we were getting like dramas comedies documentaries submitted to us and we were sort of like well we can't take these on we're a horror company it doesn't make any sense so I went to Jim and I was like, look, man, why don't we just create a sister label and, and we'll be a little even more curated than we are under the horror label. And why don't we take on, you know, the films that, that we like, that we think we can do something with. And so that was the birth of global digital releasing, which was May of 2017. And we got really lucky. Uh, we had great relationships with some big companies like XYZ Films, who gave us a couple of really great films. They gave us one called The Passing, which was a, a Welsh drama that had won like three BAFTAs. Um, they gave us a film called uh, uh, "Without Name," which was uh, which was an Irish film that had won uh, uh, was like a TIFF official selection. So it helped us really kick off that label in a really respectable way. And um, and even that, you want to talk about curated? I mean, if you were to look at the libraries of both of those companies, I mean, we have a fraction of films under the GDR label than we do under the terror films label. And, and that's truthfully because, you know, look, independent dramas and comedies and documentaries as, as a general rule are a much harder sell. I they're, they're a much harder push, man. And, and, and not that I would dissuade a filmmaker from making a film they're passionate about, but I like to be very, very upfront about, you know, look, we're going to, we're going to do a lot of heavy lifting. We're going to help cut through the noise. We're going to put it out there, but you know, at some point it's out of our hands, right? I mean, you have to give it up to the consumer, right? You yep. have to give it up to the public at large and they're either going to want to watch the movie or they're not. And, and, and especially comedy is so hard because what uh, funny in America, if you put it over in Europe, that's not funny. If you take something from Europe, put it over here, it might, you don't get it. So that's like the hardest. Yeah. 
And the truth is, Lauren, nobody knows shit, man. I mean, and I, oh. and, I, and, I, and, I and I listen, and I, and I say that about myself, and, and I give a good example with, with the movie like The Passing, uh, which is one of the first movies we launched the GDR label with. When Jim and I got that movie, uh, beautiful movie. I mean, stunning, stunning movie. But, you know, it's, it's a slow burn. It's, it's all in Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's much more of a drama than anything. It's got a little bit of a supernatural element. We didn't take that movie because we thought it was going to do well. We took that movie because there was a prestige to it, right? And, and there was a beauty to it. And I thought, wow, this is just, we need to have this. It's been one of the best performing films that we've had under the label. Because it found, because of all the work that we do, mm -hmm. it found that adult audience that loves foreign films, that loves beautiful films, that loves beautiful acting, that doesn't mind a slow pace. And it continues to perform. It continues to do well uh, across digital and VOD platforms. And 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 if you had told me that when we first took it on, I would have been like, oh, no, this is going to make it. This isn't going to make any money. <laughs> this yeah, is, yeah. This is, yeah. And look, and we did it even with the Terra Films label when we first launched it. You know, you know Jim and I realized very quickly we had to take our personal, because, you know, when we were first taking on films, we were kind of, you know, making choices based on films we would respond to, like, personally, right? Yeah. And and part of that was because we were a boutique shop and we thought, well, that might be an interesting way, you know, let's let's take on films we really think are, are something I would watch personally. And, man, right away, talk about being humbled about not knowing a fucking thing. <laughs> uh, you know, we realized very quickly that, there were films that we thought were great that we thought were going to do really well that fell flat on their face. And we had films that we picked up that we were like, Oh, you know, we think it's a good little grab for the horror label. We didn't have much hopes for that, 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 that made, you know, tons of money. Right. And, and, and so it was a good lesson learned, right? Very quickly. It's we were like, hard to <laughs> truly know the consumer. Cause I mean, you and I have seen films that got picked up and you're kind of like, that film ain't going nowhere. Like, like it's the same thing over, and all of a sudden it's like five stars. You're like, what? what, what you want to you want to ask the public almost what are they thinking? But to Absolutely. for us to decipher that, like you said, we don't know shit. No, and 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 it was good to learn that very quickly for us, and it was good that we were able to evaluate and say, all right. So it really got very basic. We were like, okay, does it have a, be a good beginning, middle, and you know, how's the acting? How's this? Is there, you know, certain sort of more technical check boxes? You know, <laughs> can they deliver? Yeah. <laughs> and and we really got to the point where we were like, okay, our job is to polish these up, give them great trailers, give them great posters, get behind the marketing and let the audience at large decide. And I think that the minute that we realized that and, and got into that mode, it has really, really allowed us to, to build this label. You know, here we are now going on, you know, we'll be approaching essentially our six year, you know, uh, anniversary, if, if you will, as, as a distributor, you know, where we have, you know, close to 90 films released and from the terror films label, which look is over six years is, is shit. It's nothing. Right. Yeah. It's a short list. But, but you're talking about films though, that because of the way we do things, because of our model, because we promote these films, because we market them and then we never stop. Um, it's actually allowed us to have success and, and put money in our filmmakers pockets and not have to take on, you know, 
80, 90, 100 films a year because um, we don't believe in the let's throw the shit against the wall model and see what sticks. You but, know? Do you find, because uh, as I see it, as you know, I'm a you know I'm a film director myself. It's hard to even when every every filmmaker, everybody's team seems to not think alike, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of seems to know the answer. Is it hard when uh, you're even trying to give advice to a filmmaker these days that it, it's even registering, or do you just see like they're setting their ways, they really think this is going to work? You know, I'm wasting my time. It's interesting. So I do think that that filmmakers respond, but at the same time, I think they very easily forget. And 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 what I mean by that is, and I'll give an example. You know, if we're talking about like even just something like uh, the 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 page that Alex Ferrari made, which is how a lot of people got introduced to me because no, you, you and know, I met. We all yeah, met right. the nightmare. Yeah, right. And I and and. I give a lot of advice on that page and, and, and I'll find that filmmakers like to often, sadly in the independent world, like to be their own worst enemy. Right. And they want to focus on, they want to focus on all the negative and, and, and having been a filmmaker and still a filmmaker for so long, I'm the opposite. Right. I like to look at, okay, I assess all the shit. Here's all the problems. Uh-huh. How do I get around those? What's my best solution? What's my best workaround? And nothing's perfect. There, there is no book. You know, I see all these people with the classes. Oh, you know, do this and have a successful film. Yeah, here. I, yeah. It's all bullshit. That's bullshit. Because if there was such a fucking book that existed, if there was such a class that existed, everybody would take it and there'd never be a failed fucking movie again. And listen, I tell filmmakers this all the time. Look at the studios <laughs> spending $100, $150 million movies. They budgets on their movies, big PA spend, big movie stars fall flat on their face. You want right? to talk about a group of people that don't want to hear anything different because those people all got egos. They don't want to hear anything. They they're the studio. They right. know what's best. But but I will say that even in the independent space, though, you'll find a, a, a mindset like and, and I still see it so much on on that page, uh, which I I I've backed off a little bit as far as my contributions to it because I see the same I, stuff. I, over and over and over again. The name changed because it was for this <laughs> about distributor updates. Yeah. I, I noticed you were one of the top guys posting, and I was chatting with you. If you notice, I dropped. That's yeah. not no ego. That's just like I just thought it turned a little bit into a battlefield of well, it, be, it became everyone's dick was bigger than the next one, and they knew it. I was like, all right, let me just get out of here for a little well, well, and I always come from the perspective of look, yes, there's a lot of shitty companies out there. there's a lot of shitty distributors but there are good ones right uh you got to do your due diligence you got to do your homework and also too when you're going to self you decide to self-distribute which i support for filmmakers right and the fact that it even exists <clears throat> i think is a great thing but go into it understanding what that means educate yourself and i think that's the thing that bugs me a lot of times especially now in this day and age all right so if a filmmaker can find a reason to bitch about something, <clears throat> they will. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I'm the first guy to be like, shut the fuck up, put on your big boy pants and figure out the fucking problem. Well, technically that's all we did when, when, when our <coughs> went down, like we all, we all, we all bonded together and did our own investigations. Called the- <coughs> yeah. Right. But when, when I'm talking about is like, <clears throat> 
excuse me, my throat there just got right. so oh, my friend. Go ahead. friggin' dry. And I think I have a cough up in here. Uh, so what I'm talking about, though, is, again, the constant kind of beating of the drum of like, oh, you know, oh, I can't find a good distributor. Oh, these terms, that terms. Uh, oh, I'm having a problem with the self-distribution. Oh, what do you think of Film Hub? What do you what think of self this That's what I'm doing. I, right. I, 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 I had no problem ever telling me I'm with Film Hub, but like you realize they put, they put you up on a on the shelf basically in the store, and the right. outlets take you. They don't they're not pushing you at the time. Right. You have to push you. So I took I went, I went from the distributor nightmare and then just jumped in. I'm a, I'm not Film Hub's been good to me. They've been paying me and all that, but. Yeah. I'm the advertiser. Right. But it seems but that's one of the things I tackle. I, I willingly knew what I was doing when I took that on. Right. So you can't complain about that. No, but, but see, I even say that about, you know, certain distributors where I say, listen, <clears throat> maybe you find a distributor who's going to do 20%, 80% and they're not going to let you sit behind a bunch of expenses. <clears throat> but if they don't mention that they're going to give any kind of advertising or any kind of marketing, yeah, that means that it's in your hands. So what you lean on your distributor to do is to get you onto as many platforms as possible. And then you got to be prepared to learn how to do paid digital ads. You've got to, maybe if you can, if you can afford it, you go find a boutique PR firm like an October Coast PR who I talk about all the time. Like, so don't, don't decide to self-distribute or even go with a distributor that is going to do marketing and then bitch about something you knew going in wasn't going to happen. Go into it with your eyes open. Go into it with a plan. So if you're going to take that on, don't bitch about it after the fact. Don't be like, my aggregator doesn't, doesn't market for me. Of course they don't market for you, and they fucking make that clear that they don't market for you. So to me, the whole whiny, pissy attitude in the independent space is what bothers me. And look, and even with – look, I've, and I've talked about it with Amazon, right? When Amazon dropped their rev share, when Amazon stopped oh. taking documentaries, and people will go, oh, my God, we're, how are we going to do anything? How are we going to do anything? Listen, you're talking to a guy who, when I ran Full Moon, what kept companies like that alive were massive purchase orders from Hollywood Video and Blockbuster Video, okay? Now, when they went under, it was the same thing. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? The independent business is going to go under. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. And, and in fact, what I'll say about the digital world we're living in now you want to talk about a salvation for independent film? We're living in it. You just have to understand how to maneuver it, how to manipulate it. It's like, but it's like anything. You know, Lauren, I don't care what business you're in, right? Every industry has its own uphill battles. Every industry is filled with shysters, liars, bullshit, things yep. that you have to maneuver. But if you know that going in and saying, okay, I'm going to this eyes wide open. What's my game plan? What do I have to be prepared to do? You're going to focus on that instead of focusing on the bitterness and focusing on, oh, poor me. Oh, woe is me. And look, and the basic truth is this too, in the independent space. And I have this conversation with filmmakers all the time. Your film might not make a whole lot of money, no matter what we do, no matter how many platforms we put it on, no matter how much we market it, no matter how much we advertise it. There just comes a point where no matter what we do, it may not translate to actual revenue, right? And to top it all off, right, what you said, the, the salvation of getting your uh, film shown on the streaming outlet is better than ever. But the drawback, you know, they're not paying the way they used to. 
No. So, no. yeah, I mean, and they have the attitude of we need them. They don't need us. You know, right. And look, and here's where I'll go. And, and this is a big thing I've been talking about a lot lately is, is the explosion in ad based platforms. Right. So I find the industry to be very funny. It's always ebbing and flowing because the industry spent years coming up with platforms to eliminate commercials. Right. Yep. It uh, started all the way back in the day with TiVo. Remember TiVo? You know, Skippy. And... <laughs> right. And now the industry has come full circle. Yep. And you get every your and your violence and, your, and and all that with it, but you're getting a commercial now. <laughs> Everything's ad-based and let me tell you, it's why I will tell you Tubi TV is still the 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 platform to beat. It is. Yeah. For, but for now, because that Fox bought them, so who knows what's the Right. But the, yep. if Tubi turns into the next Amazon style like sooner or later we're going to start flushing up, there'll be another Tubi platform. Well, there'll let me tell you though. All right. Yeah. But you've got Roku, you've got Plex, Sumo, yeah. you've got Pluto, you've got Crackle, you've got Popcorn Flix, you've got all of these now massive YouTube, legitimate YouTube AVOD platforms. Um, and I got to tell you, we, we, we did a deal recently at the end of, of, of last year with a company called Jungo TV, which is a massive multi-channel network of, of YouTube channels. And we have seen a spike in revenue that has gone through the roof on films that on other platforms I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't give the film away that suddenly making started making thousands of dollars on ad-based YouTube platforms. So what I tell filmmakers is like think outside of the box. Think about every opportunity. Think about how many platforms you can get your film on. Stop getting hung up on transactional dollars, okay? This whole idea of like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to make more money if you if you rent or purchase. No, no, you're not, man. Who really, no, you're who not. Really, who really pays the $3.99 to rent anything when you know it's going to be free months later? Plus, look how many, look how many channels there are to watch. Why? Unless this is something you have to see. There's a million other movies out there. No one that, does anymore. No one does it. That is the other thing that we do that's a little unusual. So the traditional model for most distributors is to dump your film on as many platforms out of the gate, you know, eight, 10, 12 platforms right away. We don't do that. We spread it out. We, we roll your film out over many, many, many months. We're always looking for new eyeballs. We're always looking for new platforms. We're always looking for new revenue streams. We're always looking for a reason to re-promote a film. And what's a good way? Film lands on a new platform. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna launch some paid ads, paid ads across Facebook, across Instagram, across TikTok, across Google Ads. They're massive. We also do things like we keep a full page ad in every edition of Screen Magazine. We do paid social media with Rue Morgue, with Fangoria. There's so much that we do that are things that independent filmmakers could do on their own, right? You you don't you don't have. I put myself at Screen Magazine. I, yeah, I, yeah. And, I, and I say this all the time to filmmakers. If you're going to self-release, go for it. Yep. But come up with a plan. Yep. And if you don't know what it is, Google. Google distribution ideas, marketing ideas. Get your head wrapped around a budget that makes sense to you that you can afford. Right? A lot of people, when I, I had a filmmakers I've asked, I, obviously outside of the horror community, sometimes they'll tell me about a film. I'm like, well, who's your target audience? And they would freeze. I'd be like, you don't know where 
you don't know where to go. That means you're telling me you don't know where to even go. But you're a horror movie, horror movie director. Well, you know your target audience. You're gonna know you. You're gonna get the Scream magazine, like you said, Fangoria and freaking the conventions alone. Getting a table at a convention and meeting those fans. That that that's a big picker up. I've I've done that over and over again. Well, and I gotta tell you, of all the genres, military even got known. Yeah, out there and given. Here's the logo. Here's posters right. and right. stickers and all that. Yeah. Well, and I gotta tell you, of all the genres, um, the horror genre, I always tell filmmakers. And again, you know, I want people to follow their their dreams. I want people to, to make movies they're passionate about. I think what the hell's the point of, of doing this to some degree if you don't love what you're doing? Yeah. But when I talk about the idea of getting a break, more importantly, about increasing your chances of making money, make a little indie horror film because there is such a ferocious built-in fan base. They're yep. already waiting. They're already waiting. Yep. They're, and they're going to eat that content up at all levels. And, 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 and the horror fan doesn't care about movie stars at, nope, all. at all. In fact, sometimes it can be, uh, it can work against a That's horror right. film because people get distracted. Right. Um, they don't care about budgets. Right. Nope. It could be, it could be a simple film that you made for $25,000 that blows through the roof. And I got to tell you, some of our best performing films under our banner filmmakers made for well under a hundred thousand dollars, well under a hundred thousand dollars uh that, but, they, but, they, but they executed well they executed right. that, well. everybody's got to look at that trying to make a the, a film as cheap as possible but try to get uh, make it pop that's right. you know going over a hundred oof you know oof and i think people are 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 still and it's funny because i just had an email exchange earlier with with a uh a, a, actually a, a tv showrunner who's had a very successful show on for many years who wrote a horror script He's at a big agency, uh, but because he's in the reality TV division, you know, good luck getting anybody else in the other departments to pay attention. And he asked me if I would mind giving him some advice. I'd be like, sure, what's, what are your questions? And one of the questions was about, you know, just kind of next steps. I have this script. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I think I'm going to put some of my own money in. And I was like, well, how much money are you going to put in? He goes, well, I was going to put $100,000 of my own money in. So I was like, well, okay, well, what's your budget? He goes, oh, I, I think about seven hundred. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, listen, you're you first time. Make 20 films with that if you cut I, it. I, I was like, you're a first-time feature director. Why don't you go back to the drawing board? I said, if you've got $100,000 of your own money, why don't you go figure out how to make this movie for $100,000? Mm -hmm. Don't get under other investors involved. Don't ask for, for, for more money, even if you can get it. I said, because it doesn't make any sense. Because a, a $700,000 independent horror film is a super, super risky venture. Doesn't mean you won't have the success. And, and, and so I, again, but what happens is I find that most filmmakers want to spend money on things that don't matter. They're going to overpay cast. They're going to overpay for locations. They're going to do things that, that, that at the end of the day don't really mean anything to executing a scary movie in a way that the, the, the horror fan base is going to respond to. And I have to tell you some, some films that we see a lot of, a lot of success with uh, when they're done, right. Are the found footage films, right. Where, yep. where if you can make a, a, a decent, there's a massive, massive found footage fan base. Uh, number one, number two, talk about a, a really easy stylistic way to make a film quick on the fly with not a lot of money. But again, you, you do have to be able to execute it well. You have to be able to execute it well, but you're also in a way, you're kind of a, 
relieving to a point lighting the room and the audio because you could have those little bit of errors because hey this isn't supposed to be a movie this is a found footage but at the right. same time, but you still want it but yeah you you get away with a little bit of more right but yeah. you get what I'm you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. And 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 so you know, I just think that that is, uh, you know, I, I'm always bringing filmmakers back to that idea of if it's something you're going to make and you're going to make yourself, whether you're going to raise the money, you have some money, whatever you're going to do, try to keep that budget contained. Don't think that spending more means that your movie is going to be better, that it's going to make more money, because that is not the case. When a and, okay, yeah, and when a filmmaker, what advice would you give? As I obviously have my own too, for someone who's trying to get distribution, I always hear the stories, you know, that, that you always hear that same word over and over expenses. Can I see, okay, you know, when, when, once they sign with a company, oh, expensive, you're actually 30 grand in a hole. And I, I, I've been like, I want to see your expenses. No, stick, stick a lawyer on us. I've always been, there's a reason I went with Film Hub because obviously what happened with the distributor disaster, uh, I, everyone I talked to, one of the things I did for every label I was interested in, I would look up their catalog. I'd contact, I'd look at the, look at the movies, look at who directed them. And I'd email all five. I'd just take five and, I, and I'd ask them, Hey, how are they treating you? Smart. Yeah. Smart. It's funny. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. So first of all, on the due diligence side, I tell filmmakers when, when, when filmmakers are considering us as their distribution partner, and I, I use the word partner for a very specific reason because it's absolutely how I see it and it's how we treat our filmmakers. It's a partnership. This is not a, hey, we're going to take your film, pat you on the head, and the next time you hear from us is when you get your quarterly reports. I don't do that. I don't believe in that. That is a shitty way to do business, and, uh, and that is how too many distributors do business. But one of the most important things I stress is I say, look, I'm going to send you about 10 emails of filmmakers that are under our banner, go email them. But in addition to the ones that I sent you, go onto IMDb, go find a bunch and go email them yourself. Don't take my word for me. Don't, don't, don't take the word of the emails I sent you. Use them, but go do your own homework. And the reason I say that is because that's how confident I am in what people are going to say about us. And, and the reason I say that is it's not about because I've made everybody a shit ton of money because I certainly haven't made everybody, you know, uh, a ton of money, but it's when you talk about how are they treating you, right? Mm -hmm. That goes so far, Lauren, did we do what we say we were going to do? You know, was the communication there? Are we accessible? Um, are we always open to answer questions? Are we still constantly pushing your film? Um, those are the things that matter in, in, in the grand scheme of things that I always tell people that I, I, I think is so important to do and not enough filmmakers do it. They're, 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 they're often lazy about it and then bitch about it afterwards. The other thing I say is understand what the hell you're signing, because if you sign an agreement, okay. And that agreement doesn't require that they do any marketing. If that agreement has a bunch of nonsense expenses, if that agreement uses the word cross collateralization, it's a word I tell people to run from. Um, but if you sign all that, okay. You don't get to be pissed off after because you signed the goddamn agreement. Understand what you're signing. If you don't understand what you're signing and can't afford an attorney, try to ask some favors. Try to see if you could get, get some, uh, compile the questions to the distributor. See if they'll give you the, the, the straight answers, okay? But if you just sign a document, 
you, you don't get to be pissed off about it after the fact because they didn't hold a gun to your head and make you sign it, right? Yep. In regards to expenses, now, I don't believe in them. I have two models. By far. Under, yeah. I have two, uh, two models under our banner. One model, which is North America, has a flat, recoupable $1,600 expenses. It's very clear. It's, very, it's a lot better than thirty grand. Yeah, it's very it's very clear what they're for. Uh huh. The other model, which is worldwide, there isn't a single expense ever. The only time we would have an expense is that if the filmmaker could not afford to provide something, let's say they couldn't provide a closed caption file or a dialogue list, and you know we run across it, right? Yep. And they asked us to pay for it. It's only if they approve it, we will show them the cost. And then it's a recoupable and it has to be mutually agreed in writing. They have to give us the okay and that's it. And here's the reasons because I've been on the other side of so many bullshit ex expenses. My favorite thing is unaccountable marketing expense. That's going to be one of the most ridiculous things I have ever seen, continue to see in the fact that any filmmaker falls for that. So unaccountable marketing expense essentially means, well, we're going to spend $50,000 on marketing your film and we got to recoup that. But it's unaccountable, so I actually don't have to show you where I spent the $50,000 to market your film, right? In their pocket, yep. Same thing on foreign sales. Let me tell you this. The foreign sales market has changed completely. And, 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 and worldwide, so we have two ways with, with foreign, okay? So we have the ability to reach platforms all over the world. Uh, we provide subtitles and dubs at, at no cost to the filmmaker. We absorb those. Not an extra three hundred. <laughs> when 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 we have a foreign what we have a foreign sales partner when they take on the film, their percentage is absorbed in our percentage, so it's not a double dip. Beautiful. So there's all of these things, and when it comes to market attendance, what I tell filmmakers today: what market attendance? Nobody's going to the fucking markets because of COVID. And now, even with COVID kind of lightening up here and there, so many things are going to virtual because what we all learned very quickly is that the fuck do I need to go to a market for to sell my film? Here's yep. hey hey uh, uh, distributor in Italy. Here's a link. Here's a trailer. Here's a synopsis. Here's a poster. Yeah. Interest? Are you interested? Yeah. Great. What the fuck am I giving some foreign sales company for a bunch of expenses to go set up at a hotel at AFM or Berlin or anywhere? It's nonsense, especially in the independent space. It is nonsense. Okay. I was I, I was getting emails before you know. I found a place for my uh, my film of people saying, "Hey, we're going to this film market, like like TIFF or something, you know, the Sundance, uh, you know, if you sign with us, you know, blah blah blah, and we're gonna, uh, it's ten thousand dollars up front for us to go out there and start marketing your film, and I'm like ten ten thousand, huh? You're going out there just to market my film alone, right? Yeah. Of course not. They got another forty films on top of that, easy. So I basically yeah. paid." You know, each in the maker filmmaker paid what the whole year's salary. Yeah, and here and here's the joke of that. that yeah, go yourself with with a bunch of people. Right. Price. Here's the joke of that too. And anybody who's who's any independent filmmaker who's been to any kind of a market, and let's use AFM as an example. Marketing your film is the biggest crock of shit I ever heard. Okay, they set up, they pay for their hotel room or their office room, whatever that expense is for them. You walk into the room. All the fucking posters are hanging on the wall, which are usually their premiere titles, okay? So sometimes I'll have a TV in the background that's sort of playing trailers, you know, on loop. They have a catalog book with your image. 
give me a fucking break, guys. Give me a break. You need how much to do that? You're taking appointments. You're showing things. It's nothing. But again, the market has changed. The whole the whole industry has changed. Uh, it was already changing, you know, before COVID, and I think COVID really shifted things. But again, it's about filmmakers not only educating themselves, but I think also, and you said earlier, ego. I I, I don't know if I would call it ego, but there is it is very important for them to get out of their own way. And what I mean by that is this idea that they think that their independent film that nobody's heard of, that doesn't have any names in it is going to make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the foreign sales market is a delusion. And in 99% of the cases, not to say that independent films don't do well in the foreign market, they certainly can, but most of them are not making a ton of money. And, And the truth is, is that look, even for us in a lot of our films, some of our better films. You now we're getting MG offers from from buyers. Oh, 2500, 5000. But 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 they're asking for 7, 8, 9, 10 years, no splits, all rights, like it's the the the, the it's a, a, an average number for for years some like should be in the contract like where's the cutoff? Cuz you see some of these people like signing 10, 14, 18 years executive to, you know, so exclusively to them, you're like, wow, you, you can't try one or two, you know? Uh, I, so, so when it comes to distribution agreements, I'm of the opinion that three to five years is all you should be signing to a, to a distributor, number one. And I'm talking about, you know, your North American distributor. If that particular distributor is getting worldwide rights, when it comes to the foreign sales side of it, I always preempt people to say, look, on the foreign side, if our foreign sales partner thinks they can take this to the market and do well, we'll gauge the offers and the years because we're still seeing, and look, and I push back all the time. I work with a company called Black Mandala. I don't know if you know them. Uh, really great guys. Very, very honest, very legit. They pay, they work hard. They're, you know, they're a boutique shop like us. Um, you know, and 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 Michael, who's the, who's one of the head guys over there. You know, I'll get sometimes get these offers. Hey, Joe, we got an offer from Poland, an offer from Russia, an offer from, and you know, it'll be for like sixteen hundred dollars for seven years. And I'm like, Michael, <laughs> come on, man. Like, like, tell these guys to go stick that up their ass because that's that's just they just want the content to present platforms, right? But here's but here's what happens if 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 they tell me, okay, we'll go back. Sometimes he'll come back. He'll have better terms. Sometimes he'll go back and they'll say, well, this is it. What I do, and this is where it's different, where I talk about a partnership, right? I don't have to do it, but I go to the filmmaker and I'll say, hey, we got this offer. This is all they're willing to give. I don't think it's a great offer. I don't think we can get any more though. What would you like to do? And I let our filmmakers make the call because it's not my job to be giving away your film on a shitty, on a shitty deal. I don't, I don't believe in that. And so I will go to the filmmakers a lot of times and just say, Hey, this is it. You know, uh, now if it's a good deal, I'll just do it. And then I'll send them the terms and I'll be like, Hey, listen, I closed this and this is what we're going to get from this. But more often than not, what I'm starting to do is we are launching internationally, man. And, and, and like I said, we, we are launching films in Portugal and Spain and Italy and Germany directly all over the world, across these platforms, where what I'm doing by doing that is we're creating constant revenue streams. So why am I going to sell your film to some distributor in another country 
who's going to put your movie on the same platforms that I'm going to put them on, right? Pay me dog shit to have that when I can put you in the same position and keep the revenue streams coming, right? Yep. Why should we give your movie away for some little, little MG? Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. So, so we're always kind of maneuvering that stuff, right? And we're always trying to, to talk through it and, and, and look, and, you know, I'm also one of those guys that uh, I'm, I'm here to, to, to give you the good and the bad and everything in between. Right. And, and, and one of the things we also do is we do quarterly reviews. So like when the reports come in, me, my head of uh, social media marketing, we sit down and we literally go film for film for film. And we look at, okay, what are the films performing? What platforms are performing? Let's lean into those. What films are not performing? What can we do to reinvent those? Uh, we'll schedule calls with filmmakers to be like, hey, listen, <clears throat> I know your reports the last you know, three quarters really sucked. Let's talk about that. Let's see if we can figure it out. Because it's, it's again, because of the way our model is and because we don't we don't make up a bunch of magical bullshit expenses to sit behind which is how these these most of these shitbag distributors are surviving <laughs> if we if the film doesn't make money we don't make money right and that that's the truth and because we're not high volume we need the films under our banners to make money so it keeps us very invested it keeps us very involved for the process throughout the entire time that the films are with us do you believe i mean do you know other platforms that or this hands-on, this this partnered up as as the words you use as as you, or do you really kind of? Not, not that I'm aware of. Not 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 that if if there are others out there like us, I haven't come across them. You know, our experiences and how we built our model is based on all of the different distributors we've dealt with over the years. Yeah, uh, whose models, as far as I know, are still the same old nonsense. Um, and and I think that that is another thing that we you know we're always paying attention to the changes uh, in the industry. I'll give you an example today. I was actually on the phone um, uh, with with Linda Nelson of Indie Rights because uh, a lot of times we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk. we we have a very similar mindset. I love Linda. I think I think Linda is one of the good guys and and she's very legit and she's sort of no nonsense. She's one of those that she's going to tell you something even if you don't like it, right? She's going to tell you she's not going to blow a bunch of magical shit up your ass. Um, and we were just talking about Amazon. Uh, today and just the different changes and and why we've had to start moving into more of the AVOD side of the business. And then while we were on the phone together, simultaneously, we both got the same email from Amazon telling us that uh, because we had contacted them about this in the past, they have now reopened. I'm going to post about this actually in the forum today. Okay. They, just re they just reopened uh, the ability to submit documentaries again. Wow. Uh, yeah, because so, they want them in short films, right? Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they just sent the email. Linda and I literally got it. She goes, you just get this email from Amazon? And I had to check my email, and I got it too. That's great. Uh, and they just opened that back up. So that's great. So I'm happy to hear that. But but that's what it is, right? It's, it's, it's constantly paying attention. It's constantly saying, okay, well, this is not working, or we see this over the horizon. This is going to take a, you know, what used to be a great platform is going to become kind of a low performer, so how do we maneuver around that? And, and I just think that that's, that's what kind of in some way for me makes it exciting because, you know, we're constantly trying to rejuvenate uh, revenue streams for films and place them on new platforms and constantly talk about them across social media. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing, too, for independent filmmakers that don't realize is that once your film is out there in the digital sphere, there's truly no bad time to find an audience, right? Yep. I mean, you, you we've had films that, didn't find steam until a year later, 
right? Because for some reason they hit, you know, maybe they're on 10 platforms, but two of them are, are the ones doing the heavy lifting. And so I always go, well, great. You know, let's, let's lean into those two. Let's market the shit out of those two that are doing well. But I say the same thing to, to, to independent filmmakers. Don't get, don't get discouraged if in the first few quarters, your, 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 your film is just trickling in money. Keep at it. Keep placing. Keep thinking about it. Ask people questions. Hey, what, what, what platforms are working for you? Do you have a similar film as mine? It's about doing your homework. And I, I just think with the access to the internet today and all the information that's floating out there, uh, you know, Lauren, for free, yeah. there's really no excuse for filmmakers not to be able to do their due diligence, come up with a strategy, you know, whether they're going to self-release, whether they're considering a, a, a distribution partner. Um, there's just too much at your fingertips to to look into on your own um, to, to to not do that. Gotcha. So it's someone a case like myself when I was shopping my film around for so long and I got literally over 40 emails of people like, come with me, come with me. And I would I would do my diligence of, like I said, contacting filmmakers, asking how it is. And then the, you, you get your easily ones cut right off like, nope. And then you get the next branch of, they've been great to me. And then you ask a few more, they've been a disaster. Right. So basically, what would you tell myself and anybody who's just that, I call it, it's a paranoia because, you know, we all, a lot of us got wrecked by distributor. That's why I went with them originally. Sure. Oh, this is 10 years they've been around. This is going to be great. And then, you know, they even bit us, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What are, what are, would you call, you check the boxes. What, what, what would be your, your list for anyone? Uh, distribution? I, I, I definitely think that you need to reach out to at least 10 to 15 filmmakers under that banner. Um, I think that you need to weigh the pros and the cons of the information you get from those that get back to you because you're a hundred percent right. And I've actually talked about this uh, on the forum uh, as it relates to Gravitas. And what I've said about Gravitas is that I've personally have done business with them as, as a producer. I don't actually have anything bad to say about them because they've always paid. They were transparent about the fact that they didn't do any promotion. Mm -hmm. They sent me the fun little PDF on how to promote my own movie. Uh, there was transparency in that sense of the word. So Going into that, and I think that that is, is why it's so important to not only do your due diligence, but also understand what people's definition of it was a disaster, right? Because and it goes back to what I said to you earlier. What did you sign? Did you understand what you were signing? Because if you signed a contract that said, hey, there's certain amount of expenses and we're not going to promote, um, and then that's exactly what happens, right? And they recoup their expenses and they don't promote. You really, you really don't have the right to be pissed off because you signed the contract. So, so I think it is about understanding what the disaster is. Now, when I hear stories like, oh, nobody's getting back to me. I haven't heard back in weeks. I haven't gotten a report. I got the report and never got paid. Those are nightmare stories. Those are the ones I say you run away from. Like you start hearing from people, I did not get paid. Uh, I've never seen any money. Or there were no list of expenses. Uh, there was no expense cap mentioned in my contract, but now they're suddenly taking expenses. Those are the nightmare things. Mm -hmm. The whole idea that they took expenses and didn't promote, and it was in the contract that you signed. Sorry, 
sorry, you don't get to complain about that. You sign the contract and that's the end of that story. Okay. The really cautious, the things to be super cautious about are the things that I mentioned, right? You're not getting any communication. You're not getting any reports or you are getting reports and you're not getting paid. That, that, that's, that, 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 that is a hell no. Now, of course, if you signed a contract and there were a bunch of things that were promised legally and they're not doing them and people say that, then that's also, that's also a big red flag. Um, and that's the thing I tell from my good all the time that, 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 that I talk to that are considering us. I say, look, if, if, if you're on a phone or you have an email exchange with a distributor and they're blowing a bunch of you know sunshine up your ass and then you get the long form and the long form doesn't reflect a single thing that they told you. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to do it. They don't have to do it. You you don't you you don't have anything you know to 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 stand by. But then you have the other side of things, which is what the I think the really unscrupulous uh, distributors uh, count on is they'll promise you a bunch of shit in the long form, and then they don't do it. Mm. And they 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 bank on the fact that you're not going to have the time, the energy, or more importantly, the money to get a lawyer to go after them, lawyer up. And do what you got to do. And speaking of lawyering up, I'll segue us in over to our, 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 you know, how we all met, which is through the distributor go digital nonsense. Feel free. Take your time. Hello, Mike, Nick, Jason, <laughs> and Neil. Well, 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 I haven't been dealing with those guys. Uh, uh, I've been dealing with the ABC, which was Glass Ratner, which is now another firm that I, I don't know if they teamed up or merged, uh, but Seth Freeman. And um, can we just stop for a second? Glass Ratner is the lawyer company that they. Well, that Glass Glass Ratner is the financial institution that can be hired as a private ABC. So instead of going through a a court ordered ABC, you 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 can you can have the option of hiring now. But the thing that most people don't realize but that's who is the distributor hired to liquidate their company. That is who the uh, the board of directors hired to come in, wind the company down settle up everything for all of the the filmmakers and the creditors okay so now, we're probably most likely paying them with our money right so <laughs> so so uh the interesting thing is is that uh i don't think that seth freeman was anticipating that i was going to be such a pain in the ass two years later mm-hmm. um i have an incredible law firm I have a, gr- a great attorney that was assigned to me who, who's a bankruptcy a, a specialist attorney <clears throat> that has, a, has even educated uh, Mr. Freeman in a, in, a, in a few places that he was unaware of. And um, <clears throat> we've gotten to the point where about, I'd say about two months ago, I got my hands on paperwork that was provided to us that I guarantee nobody else has gotten yet. <clears throat> I've gotten Alex Ferrari up to speed um, with the possibility that <clears throat> if this doesn't go the way that uh, I want it to go, I'm going to blow this fucking thing so far off the lid, so far off the lid, because now not only do I have paperwork that they do not want distributed in any way, shape or form. Oh, um, uh, Mr. Freeman, uh, kind of backed himself into a corner and kind of uh, one day decided to treat my attorney like he was his priest okay. and confessed a lot of stuff that, uh, yeah, we've got, to, I, I, I will just leave it at this. <laughs> and I talked about this a little bit on the forum. I did, I did get people updated not long ago. 
Um, we're in a very strong position to where if they do not settle with me and my company for my filmmakers, um, they're going to really be in a bad, bad place because Freeman knows me well enough to know how I blew the fucking lid off of go digital with, with Alex and how we got everybody from, you know, deadline to variety to the LA times to start talking about that story. Yep. Um, I covered I was, it. In, I covered it in my film. I, I did a short film. That, I know. I remember. I remember. Uh, but I, I, I you on YouTube. Uh, yeah, check yeah, out yeah, distributor. How, how they left one thousand filmmakers in a living nightmare. And also yeah. Google uh, Todd Jenkins. He's got a nice video. You might want to check out. Bobby. Yeah. Oh no, I saw Todd's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, I, I'm I, seeing professional Todd kind of <laughs> Texas on him, and good for good. Good. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I'm in a very strong position to, and 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 you know, one of the things that I had to talk to my attorneys about early on was because you know my my attorneys care about me, and they were like, look, you know, we don't want you to spend a ton of money that might end up to to not result in anything. And I said, listen to me. This is not about the money for me anymore. This is the principle. Damn right. Okay? So they're going to either do the right thing, which, which under the state of California, as an ABC, even a private one, right? As an assignee for benefit of creditors, okay? You have, you have a legal obligation that they faltered in, that they failed at, right? So to me, this is no longer about the 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 the, the Nick sources, those fucking lying scumbag, thieving pieces of shit. Damn okay? right. Fuck that guy and fuck all those people who turn the other way because you can't tell me you were working hand in hand in that company and didn't know what was going on. But don't don't get me started. Of course, this is this is about this is about to me. This is about the company that came in to wind it all down, to do a proper accounting, to let everybody know what was left. To let everybody know what was it, what was spent, what went where, which, by the way, I have in my possession, and they did not do that. They did not meet their legal obligation as an ABC to the filmmakers or to companies like mine who who had multiple filmmakers under my banner that were attached to this company. So uh, I'm hoping for their sake they realize what bad position they're in. According to my attorney, he's got a pretty good feeling that they do know that they're not in a good position. Uh, and some of the information they've provided us leads us to believe that they are going to uh, do everything they can to make me go away. Uh, as my, as my attorney likes to refer to it as uh, uh, to, to Seth as your Joe Dane problem. Do you want your Joe Dane problem to go away? <laughs> How about that? Uh, world. Yeah. And, and I and I just keep at it, man. I keep at it. We 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 send follow-up emails probably every couple of weeks. And and I believe you know, also uh some of these guys are still in the business, right? I you know, I, I haven't kept track really of any. I mean, I've heard nothing about Nick Soros. And listen, and let's be clear, right? Put aside, you know, uh uh, you know, Michael Sorsen, who is the, the head of business affairs or or you know any of those other guys, right? I mean, and 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 they are who they are, and I'm, I'm certainly back, right? Is back? Yeah, I, I like I said, I I don't know who's exactly doing what. Even Neil, I I remember at one point Neil uh, had started, I guess, a similar 
company yeah, model. But- Alex show, and it was basically 90 minutes of, I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, I'm over yeah, here now. Give me your films. That was- right, right. Didn't go well. I was yeah. more curious. Yeah. How do you not know? What are you signing an NDA for, by the way? What do you got? But here's what, I, here's what I'm going to say, and I said it when I first blew the lid off with, with Alex Ferrari, when I went onto his podcast and yep. he almost fell out of his chair because I named names like crazy. The truth is, is that everybody else aside, everybody else from the board of directors to everybody else, the person who was putting their hand in the cookie jar was Nick Soros. Okay. And there was, and, and, and the, and the woman in accounting, Jill was covering for him. She was cooking the books. She was re. I, I mean, this, I'm not saying anything I didn't say two years ago, right? Nope. Those are the two biggest culprits because he wasn't able to do it by himself, and and she was. I don't know what their little arrangement was, but she was certainly cooking the books to cover things up and move things around. But he was the one sticking his hand in the cookie jar, and and had it not been honestly for the handful of of Netflix. Uh, a handful of producers who had Netflix deals. And we were one of them, although we had been fully paid out by the time this happened. But had it not been for a handful of those producers who knew that that Netflix paid like clockwork and didn't get their checks, who went around Go Digital and called Netflix and Netflix accounting was like, what are you talking about? Mm. We sent We sent these payments, the checks have cleared. That was what really blew that. That was what really blew them up, right? At that point, they couldn't hide that, right? They could look. They can manipulate the 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 data on on the other stuff, right? They could they could not share reports or whatever. But with Netflix, there was no way to get around that. That was a set amount of money they paid quarterly. They paid like clockwork, so they couldn't hide that, right? They so anyway, it's fine. But you know, look, it's my hope that. What I want for, for the independent filmmaking community to have gotten from that or, 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 or any of these types of situations is to understand it's never going to go away. There's yeah. always a shyster, you know, shitbag company or executive uh, looking for a way to take advantage, looking for a way to, to, to steal money from you. And your job becomes about not getting caught up in the bitterness of that because, again, every industry across every type of, 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 of company out there has this kind of problem. Your job is to maneuver those waters, do your due diligence, talk to other filmmakers, find out who the good guys are because there are good ones out there. Um, don't be in a perpetual state of whininess or, or victimhood because uh, there's no benefit in it. And if that's where you're going to stay, get out of the business, right? Get out of this business and go find something else to do um, because, because if you think that just constantly perpetually bitching and complaining and crying is going to make any difference. It's, it's, it's not you're, you're, and in fact, you're, I think you're continuing to set yourself up for failure and disappointment. Um, rather than focus on the good and focus on the positives and focus on the options that you have that, that could work for you. Yep. So yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of people that can't, I said, they can't handle the bullets from critiquing yeah. of the film. Don't want to, I always said a lot of people want to go for the glory of I'm a great filmmaker. I'm just a great actor, but they don't want to put the work in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other separate. Well, they're enamored, you know, they're enamored by the 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 idea of the industry, of the idea of being in the industry, and I get it. I mean, it's a very alluring, 
you know, when you step back and 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 you're not entrenched in it like a lot of us are, yeah. it, it can be very alluring. I certainly, I was certainly much more enamored by it when I was younger, you know. Uh, and 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 I'm still in love with the business. I just have a very different view of of it. And I'm like, oh yeah. But you know, I'm also at a point where I cut through bullshit quickly. I, I don't mix words about things. I don't have time for it. I don't want to be bothered with it. I'm not here to tell you how wonderful you are and how great your fucking film is and how much money it's going to make. I'm here to say, like, look, let's get in business together and 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 we're going to take a hell of a swing at promoting the shit out of your film and marketing it and getting it out there and doing all we can. But I can't promise you anything. So either you want to work together or you don't. So I think that that's the attitude that I would like to see more independent filmmakers take is like, go after your dreams, make the movies you want to make, love what you're doing, understand that it's a shitty business, understand that there are good people out there, do your homework and take some responsibility too. Like when you get into to business relationships and you sign deals and you sign contracts, own your part of that as far as what you did or did not do before you signed that contract, you know? understand that you had the opportunity to do your due diligence, to find out about this company, to find out if they did what they, they, they do what they say they're going to do. Because if you don't do any of that and you sign something, you really kind of taken away your right to be pissed off about it. That's really, truly my opinion of it. You know, it, it, listen, the truth's the truth, man. And, and, and you're right with that, you know? So you know, I think, Joe, this was awesome. You're, you're an awesome guest. This is uh, uh, some, some amazing info. Um, you're a guy I know him for a couple of years now, and we're, we're Philly people. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't have filters when it comes to this saying direct. No, I, I, I never lost my East Coast filter. Yeah. Joe, why don't you give the audience uh, your plugs of people how, how to reach you? Uh, I can be, well, I'm pretty accessible, um, actually, on IMDb and everything else, but. Uh, our company is terrorfilms.net is the horror company. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, globaldigitalreleasing.com, uh, which is our sister label, with, which is where we take on the dramas and comedies and things like that. Um, you know, I have a Facebook page uh, under Joe Dane. I mean, I'm, 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 my emails are all on, on IMDb. I, I, and I, that's intentional um, because I believe in being accessible as not just a filmmaker, but as a distribution executive in the space. And so I'm always available for, for filmmakers to, to talk to, to give advice to, and, and, and uh, I'm a big fan of it. I, I, I enjoy to do it. So. Sweet. Well, with that, I will thank this audience for tuning in one more time and uh, please follow average superstar TV on Instagram and Facebook. Also, please give us a subscribe on YouTube. Check us out on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. And with that, we'll see you next week.